awesome all day. I had like seven coffees. The four walls are closing in. Conference calls. The topic of every meeting. Coronavirus everywhere. Welcome to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. This is your host, Kevin Petrie. Today we explore consumer analytics in the age of COVID-19. As of this recording, billions of consumers live in quarantine with no end in sight. They buy what they need online, comforting themselves with food, TV, and toilet paper. Nobody is splurging at the mall. To say the least, it's therefore a very interesting time to analyze discretionary consumer behavior. As director of the Voice of Consumer Analytics, Tian Kaifeng helps measure and manage the perception of a consumer brand that is mentioned on social media an average of 260,000 times per day. An amateur musician, Tian Kai went viral himself recently with his series of quarantines, which include songs such as Self-Quarantine, Parent in Quarantine, and others that poke fun at our homebound predicament. Tian Kai has joined us to talk about the art and science of consumer analytics, the COVID-19 conundrum, and of course, the role of creativity in modern data analytics. Tiankai, thanks for joining us. Let's start with your hobby, which is very timely. Tell us a little bit about the genesis of Quarantunes. What prompted you to write and record these songs? Yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, thanks, uh, thanks a lot, Kevin, for having me here. I'm, I'm a big fan of the podcast. So it's really an honor for me to be here. So my my quarantunes, as I so like to call them, <laughs> um, basically happened um, during a time of when we first got informed that we have to go under lockdown and quarantine. Um, obviously, with that uh, government decision, but also with the company decision of everybody now working from home, comes a lot of worries, anxiety, and also frustration. But I decided to not really uh, take it so um, negatively. So instead, I channeled my energy into more creative energy. And I was always a big um, hobby musician, I would say, um, always writing songs, playing my piano as balance to my work life. And I thought, why don't I give it a try to see it a bit more positively? I know a lot of people are probably struggling with that situation. So I started with that uh, self-quarantine song um, that really hit a chord because I was just listening, actually, to Sweet Caroline from Neil Diamond. And I, th I was thinking, like, maybe some other lyrics would be now actually very suitable. So I rewrote the lyrics, I recorded it in one evening, um, in one take. And I thought, why don't I put it just on LinkedIn and see what happens? And um, it got incredible good feedback. And I was really surprised by that. But that basically motivated me to um, create more. And the more I created, actually, the more people were loving it. I got a lot of um, direct messages and people saying how they really love the positive energy in these difficult times. So it's really like a motivational thing for me now to create the music that creates some um, positive energy among the work from home community, but also um, basically people can really relate to it, right? Well, well, everybody, most of the world is right now stuck at home and trying to work from home. So yeah, that was my motivation and my reasoning behind that. Very good. Fascinating stuff. And um, you have a fascinating hobby. It's a really good springboard for the theme of today, which is the, um, the role of creativity in the analytics process. So in that vein, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about your role with Adidas, your objectives, responsibilities, 
and how your hobby affects that, the work that you do. So uh, I am the director of voice of consumer analytics at Adidas headquarters, so in a global role. And what that basically means is that me and my team, we look into all kinds of digital consumer feedback online. So that includes, um, for example, social listening, but it also includes the product reviews we have on our e-commerce. But also, for example, we work with a team that looks into um, our survey-based data for user experience on our website. So this having said, um, really looking into cons what consumers are saying about us as a brand, as Adidas, is really uh, interesting. Because um, just on social media alone, last year we had on average per day 260,000 mentions of the Adidas brand. And obviously that means that we cannot manually read through all of them <laughs> and try to make sense of them. But we need some really advanced algorithms and some analyzing methods to make sense of it. But having that really rich and big uh, pool of, of data and consumer feedback uh, available to us also means that we should make the best out of it. So our objective really is to uh, take that consumer feedback seriously that we have and to make our decisions that are consumer facing in Adidas as consumer centric as possible. So in a sense, organizationally, we are representing the consumer uh, towards everybody who wants to do anything consumer related. And towards the consumer, we basically can make sure that we're listening to them and that we're hearing them. And we basically can do what they want us to do. Um, so yeah, it goes kind of in both directions. So we have a really interesting, I would say, relationship both inside the Adidas organization as well as with our consumers. Very good. Maybe you could walk us through some of the primary use cases that you're addressing and how you and your team go about doing that. Sure. Um, I think we can look at the use cases, which is a really diversified portfolio of use cases we have in our team, from very strategic use cases to more and more tactical, and then lastly, very operational use cases. So when we look at the strategic side, and um, we work really closely with our brand strategy team. So in a sense, as any big corporation does, they have a so-called brand health measurement. Most of the time, this is uh, survey-based, right? So you have um, all these uh, different brand health measurements that you do based on the panel and asking certain people questions. And what we are basically doing is provide more context by looking at it also from a social listening point of view, as in what drives the perception of Adidas. So we would define, for example, different um, images. We would define different attributes of the brand and see if people perceive us as we want them to perceive us. So that's on a very strategic level. Then more on the long-term level, um, for example, we also support a lot of the product development. So really um, what kind of shoes, for example, we create. And we take really our uh, product reviews from Ecom and derive what people really want. That can mean either different colors that really are popular in that time. It can mean different silhouettes of shoes, for example. It can also mean certain product categories generally. But we would basically give back these feedback points to the business units on our side to create the best product possible. Then on a more tactical level, I would say, it's more about our general messaging and our uh, marketing activations. So general storytelling guidance, as I would call it. That would mean that um, we can look into what consumers generally care about. So outside of the brand, what drives their perception? So for example, for a while now, sustainability has become a big topic. And obviously when we go for sustainability campaigns, then we should see that we talk about the topics that the consumers are really caring about and not go with something that really nobody cares. So um, that is something we also do a lot. 
But that also goes into more um, hands-on approach as in influencer marketing. So what kind of um, influencers do we want to activate for certain stories and for certain campaigns? Do they really fit to the message that we're trying to tell? Do they really fit to the product we're trying to tell? And do they fit to the target audience as well that we want to reach? So um, using consumer feedback data, it really allows us to dig into each of those directions and make the best uh, informed uh, decision on what kind of influencers we use for what purposes. Then in terms of operationally, um, we would go into our content optimization on our e-commerce website a lot. So, um, for example, if people say that, um, mention that the shoe that they got doesn't look alike at all as the picture, then this is obviously something where we have to really change the visual because people seem to be disappointed with what they expected and what in the end is treat. But also it's about just clear guidance, like in, in apparel sizing is very important. So if we know that the product tends to be smaller or bigger uh, compared to the average of an uh, L or an S size, then this is something we need to clearly indicate on that on the website. So this is something that we also help with. And lastly, I would say very operationally, uh, this is more of a real-time um, informed and decision-making process, which is issue management, right? So um, we would look overall into if there's any negative topics that pop up and reach a certain threshold. So we can basically take the right actions in a timely manner to mitigate those risks that are happening. And in times of social media, in the age of social media, obviously shitstorms, so to say, can be very easy. Um, they happen a lot. Um, so we as a big brand also need to take care of this point. Great stuff. And so you, you walk through a number of use cases there, brand health management, storytelling guidance, influencer marketing. If we drill down on e-commerce in particular, I think it's fair to say that in the wake of COVID-19, once we get past the crisis, there will be some profound changes to the nature of e-commerce and the balance of e-commerce and retail strategies. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about what, I know you can't speak on Adidas's behalf, but maybe you could talk a little bit about how you see the retail industry shaping up and how, in particular with your role, you approach the e-commerce content optimization use case in the second half of 2020. Yeah, I mean, I would say from a, I mean, less from an Adidas point of view, but more from a general consumer point of view, what we have seen is obviously that um, one now that people are not really leaving their homes, they are looking more for comfort, but at the same time also looking for a certain sense of normalcy, right? So um, when I say comfort, that means that they want more comfortable clothes, for example, to wear at home. But it also means to be able to bake a cake. And since you're not able to buy it outside anymore, but maintaining normalcy also means that now you all of a sudden have to learn how to cut your own hair, for example, because the hairdresser's closed. So you have to buy clippers. And I'm definitely in that category myself. Is <laughs> I can imagine. I tried it myself. It didn't go well already. <laughs> uh, this having said, that means that certain e-commerce product categories will be much stronger moving forward than others. And for example, um, all of these hygiene-related uh, more um, grooming-related products are definitely going to grow. And uh, those more travel and outdoor-related products will definitely decline. And when we think about it, that from an apparel and uh, footwear point of view, then that also means that we have to really shift the focus towards uh, more home fitness, for example, doing sports at home instead of outside, uh, mental health, so like yoga products, for example, 
or um, anything that helps you to be comfortable, or even, for example, caps to really cover the bad haircut that you did yourself, right? So um, it's, it's really an interesting direction that we are currently figuring out. But um, there's a lot of existing research from a lot of companies at this point in time already, and they all indicate the same trend. And it's something that we really have to look at. I would say, though, right, that I know that a lot of companies are really trying to um, uh, figure out this short-term solution right now. But um, in the end, um, I would say that even the long-term effects of this uh, crisis, so to say, or this pandemic, um, it will be really interesting to see. and been also thinking about different scenarios how that could look like right because you can think about how people after this lockdown time either really want to go out and then everybody's outside and all of a sudden the outdoor and um, outside stuff related products are booming again or there will be a long-term fear of physical touch and a certain cautious social distancing that continues which means the current trend that we see stays on and this is something that I guess a lot of companies over time will, will have to figure out now um, how to do the best thing for the consumer. So a lot of the uh, use cases that we're talking about boil down to processing, analyzing text and unstructured data. Tell us more about the opportunities and the challenges of approaching those data types. Sure. Um, I think, I mean, you, you mentioned a good point already. Processing really from a that's the analyst and technical point of view is really cr critical for us since um, obviously text already is not easy. And uh, even more difficult is it to analyze images and videos. The more you put like moving images in there, but even audio data and uh, let's say speech to text kind of algorithms um, are not completely bulletproof, even in current times. Um, and I know there has been like already years of research on this, but um, Additionally, to the format that it in itself is already complicated, um, the internet is changing the language of people very fast. Um, so there's a lot of slang that is only visible in uh, online. And I think Twitter, for example, or Instagram created a big part of it, where basically hashtags um, is the biggest, um, I would say, uh, example for it. And hashtags itself um, is used now in real life as well right so a lot of people young people especially are saying something something and then hashtag blessed or hashtag yolo you know these kind of things um so keeping up not only with the medium itself but keeping up also with how consumers change it to their use cases and change it to how they speak is really tough but at the same time it really offers a lot of opportunities right because as a brand you can um, go into that very um, dynamic field and sometimes you can create really cool branded slang as well, and then people will adopt it. So that's something that obviously also as a more young people and um, lifestyle targeted brand, uh, we are also doing. Additionally, though, I would say um, one challenge would be the, the channels itself. So while, for example, we own our own channel of e-commerce, that means we also own the product reviews that we see or we own the service that we do. Social media will never be owned by uh, us as a brand, right? Social media will always belong to the big companies behind them, like Facebook or like Alphabet behind Google or Instagram, also Facebook or Twitter. And that means that we are really dependent on them. So when they change something, anything technically or privacy related, then we have to adapt. 
And that means that we can never stand still and assume that we can get always the same quality or the same uh, availability of data. So um, this is really something that we just have to keep an eye on and try to deal with when the time comes. And lastly, and I think this is more of an organizational topic, um, is about business processes. So um, obviously, as I mentioned before, we have a wide case, uh, wide portfolio of use cases. And that means that the power behind analyzing consumer feedback is really high. But it's not always easy for the whole organization to understand all of the power behind it. So uh, when they make decisions, they don't always consider us as a source, for example, for consumer feedback, even before an activation, for example, but rather see as maybe something as after a campaign to see how people talk about it. Um, so this having said, it's more of an education topic. I think we in Adidas are doing already really well, but of course there's always potential to improve, uh, but we are on a really good track of it to really make a consumer feedback a source for a lot of consumer facing decision making. Can you describe a recent project you led that puts these principles to work and what some of the best practices and lessons learned are for peers outside of Adidas? Sure. Um, so there's one project that actually I co-led um, a while ago um, by basically trying to challenge the status quo of our analysts in our team um, at Adidas. And how that worked is that we worked together actually with our product design team called the Maker Lab in Adidas. Um, and try to create a small workshop and a role play almost of how that could look like to be creative in, uh, in your uh, analytics job. And uh, the whole idea was to apply design thinking for it, meaning that what if we think about stakeholder and audience first of our analytics instead of data first? And how that worked is we basically printed out a bunch of random data sets that we are not at all used to. So that included, for example, bird flight patterns or uh, milk export industry uh, reports and told the group to basically uh, think about how to tell a story around this. And if you don't have the data points to basically explain it, just make it up and in the end tell a story around what data points mean what and how that is a story. So two groups were working on it. In the end, we role played of having some people from the product design team um, acting as judges and they were pitching it. Um, and in the end, one of them won, which was like a cheese idea and like a business idea around how to create better cheese. Kind of thing. But the content itself, I think, is, is not as important as the process itself because um, it inspired the team to really challenge the status quo all the time. And the learning there actually is that um, as an analyst, especially when you're an expert in something, you obviously are used to this kind of data. So you're... Um, thinking a lot about, okay, this means that and this means that. And you can easily get stuck into a routine where um, all of the reports can look the same. And you always just say, um, because you're used to it. But um, our re purpose there was to, to challenge the status quo. So this is the learning that I would give everybody also here who works in analytics who's listening to this, that take the time to really reflect on how your day-to-day -day looks like. And think about where the biggest improvements are that you can have as an analyst. So is it about team efficiency? Is it about storytelling? Is it about algorithm and methods? But um, the moment you identify something, that's when it starts to really improve. And you can really challenge the status quo often and frequently. And just think about how to be even better. 
because the internet is not stopping. Everything everything is going to evolve faster. Data and numbers were always going to evolve to be more and more complicated and bigger. Um, so it's really important, I think, as an analyst to, to reflect and challenge the status quo often to be the best analyst possible. Okay, good. So you lead a digital analytics team within a Fortune 500 firm that, like most companies with, with some decades on them, has focused on traditional reporting and structured data for decades. Maybe you could talk a little bit about how your organization's data strategy has evolved and how that shapes your team's charter, because you're obviously dealing with a lot of unstructured data, uh, with a lot of social media data sources and so forth. Sure. I think historically seen, um, actually last year we just celebrated uh, Adidas's 70 years birthday of the company. But that also means we have been around a long time, but we started as a wholesale company, right? So um, we generally were more in the back of um, of people and we sold it through our retail partners or wholesale partners. So. But a few years ago, um, we actually started doing e-commerce and there was the new leadership basically decided that director consumer is a really strong uh, opportunity for us. And especially with digital growing that much in the world, that should be our way to go in. And that started a whole process of being much more digitally oriented, uh, both from an external point of view to have a lot more social media presence, to have a lot more e-commerce and uh, our website being more targeted for e-commerce than let's say um, news or corporate information. Um, but also internally in terms of a whole stream of digital transformation, as we call it. So really integrating digital in everything we do, um, virtually working, for example, but also, um, having these new concepts of product management, let's say of Scrum and Agile and so on in there. But that also includes, um, for example, data governance and analytics as a function, because before that, there was no dedicated analytics function or data function. And that only started with that digital transformation. And I had the chance to join during that time. And uh, that really, when I joined, it directly had a strong direction of how analytics should be a strong driver for anything we do and to enable fact-based decision-making across the whole organization. And we're still following that, that guidance and that principle a lot. And even with the new um, direction now, a recent direction, we call it consumer obsession. We really want to make the consumer in the core of every decision we do. And obviously consumer feedback is a really big part of it, um, together with obviously consumer behavior or any more, um, let's say, consumer-specific information we get from other channels. So yeah, Voice of Consumer Analytics is luckily in the middle of it. And we're trying to really deliver towards that principle. In the so in the midst of and as we look past the COVID nineteen crisis, do you see uh, the rest of the organization monitoring your team's output more closely? Are you being asked to address new use cases? I would think that um, with this monumental shock, hopefully temporary, to consumer behavior. Um, mm -hmm the charter of your team has become much more strategic. Yes, um, I would say in a sense, definitely more strategic, but also you have to consider that any strategic decision is also just made in the short term now, considering that we don't know how the, uh, um, how the situation is going to evolve. And um, I mean, you're, you're completely right. So we are involved in a lot of more strategic, but also operational decision-making. 
and understanding the consumer has never been as important as now. Because in a certain way, a lot of consumer segments or audiences that we analyzed had like a pretty stable um, thinking and mindset, but all of that has been changed now, right? So a lot of it is now um, about more mental health, being stuck at home now. Um, it's about how to stay healthy during that time, for example, even then you cannot go to the fitness studio anymore, or you cannot uh, run outside that often anymore with a lot of people in there. So um, we are every day trying to understand our consumer and what they need and what they want and um, trying to help all kinds of different teams in the organization. Very interesting times. So let's get back to your, uh, your fascinating hobby. Tell us more about how your music makes you a better analyst. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a very interesting question, actually. Um, I would say that um, when you usually people look at music and it's this creative art form and um, a lot of the more free art is connected to it. But if you look at music from a scientific point of view, then there's only a limited amount of notes you can play, right? And notes together, different notes together create a new tune and a new harmony. And using different instruments and different voices of people, then you create a different sound. And in the end, I would say the creativity behind that is really how you um, make all of this fit together. So both the harmonies, then the sounds, and then um, all together in an editing or mixing. And this is where really the creativity in music comes from. And in comparison, analytics, um, you have been given, obviously as an analyst, um, a given set of numbers and data points. And you can still be creative about it. So it's, it's the same process as being a musician. So you take what's given to you, but you take it from different angles. You corroborate the uh, insights and findings together in a certain way. And then you tell the best story that sounds best and looks best to uh, your audience or your stakeholders to make it the best possible analysis. So in a certain sense, that, that creativity muscle that I had uh, as a musician and have as a musician really um, empowered me as an analyst to also stay creative and not just always stick to the status quo, but always thinking about how to mix and match it and how to be creative with the insight that I'm generating. And um, needless to say, on the other side, um, being a musician gives me a really good work-life balance. So whenever I had a really intense or stressful day at work, uh, playing a little music for myself is really giving me a lot of balance. So. Um, work-life balance obviously is very important, especially in today's home office times. And uh, that is also a big part of it. Well put. Yeah. <laughs> very interesting. Yeah. And I think that if we look at um, some of the most creative people in history, uh, Ben Franklin, Steve Jobs, Einstein, Leonardo da Vinci, they're all very mm -hmm. interesting because they mix disciplines and right brain and left brain brain activities. Yeah, sure. I mean, it's, it's an honor that you would mention them in relation to me, but <laughs> I, uh, very <laughs> happy. That's good. Yeah, I'm good. <laughs> um, so, Tiankai, this has been a very interesting conversation. Really appreciate you taking the time. Um, we're mm -hmm. packaging Thank you very much. with uh, some of your quarantines tunes so folks can enjoy that and uh, sure. help maintain all of our creativity and mental health in these interesting times. So, thanks again. Mm -hmm. I hope. I hope everybody stays healthy. I hope, Kevin, you also stay healthy. And uh, um, yeah, we'll get through this together. <laughs> Absolutely.
Self-quarantine Ba-ba-ba With toilet paper You'll be fine You'll be fine Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.